1: Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that would be a lot better if we just talk about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every once in a while. It's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sift Pop Weekly, streaming live most Fridays We're available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get those perks. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and yeah, we've got a little bit of a sift swift today, as your title may have told you. Uh, Very busy weekend around here with lots and lots going on. I guess I can tell you what's going on. We're in a parasocial relationship, right? As far as I know, we're in an actual relationship. Who knows? Uh, I have a kid graduating from high school. I have a wife graduating from nursing school, and I have a granddaughter getting dedicated all the same weekend. What In Mother's Day, all the same weekend. How? Who planned this? I need to get in touch with the people in charge of the simulation. Uh, so anyways, not a lot of time to do recording this weekend. However, I do enjoy just sitting in the front of the microphone and recording some stuff for you guys so that uh, you can have something in the feed, something to think about, something for us to chat about. Uh, And I had some thoughts. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, A lot of this stems from some conversation from our previous uh, podcast when we were talking about Guardians of the Galaxy and Andrew made a point about what the movie should have been, that it should have been a rocket uh, origin story, which we said, well, it is. And he said, no, no, no. I mean, just a rocket origin story. Take out the rest of the Guardians. Just do a rocket movie. And I think we eventually kind of found at least understanding between each other. You make up your own mind if you listen to that episode. As far as what he was saying, I think I understand what he was saying. And we can agree to disagree as to whether or not that would have been better. But it got me thinking about this idea of what a movie should have been. And that got me thinking in an even greater uh, picture on the ideas of toxic fandom, what does that mean? Some of the m- kind of myths that we tell ourselves about pop culture and movies and television and what its purpose is. And uh, I think we've lost the plot on a lot of this stuff. And I talked to myself as well when I'm saying this. So I've been thinking a lot about that since last week. And I guess I just kind of wanted to chat out some of my thoughts. And I thought, you know, I, I have a microphone. I have a podcast that needs a uh, an episode this week. Why don't I just uh, do this live? Nothing can go wrong there, right? Nobody's going to take me out of context. Uh, so that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit today. And I guess I'll, I'll just start off with this and just say there's going to be a portion, especially here towards the beginning, where I talk about this idea of what a movie should have been and it's going to feel a little like i'm addressing this to andrew that is not the case and here's why because there's a difference between a discussion and a declaration right andrew and i were having a discussion in fact a lot of what goes on at sifpop is very purposely meant to not declare things it's it's not meant as a way to decide if, you know, the movie is good or bad, it's more a, a way to express our own thoughts about something. In fact, uh, that is one of the reasons the only rating we do for stuff on Sif Pop is an extremely personal rating. The like it, love it, didn't like it, uh, hated it, or It was just okay. That's very personal. That's not saying good or bad. It's saying here's how I felt me personally and Sif Pop from the very beginning, in my opinion, uh, even when the website was called your movie friend and those kind of things, it was this very subjective, nuanced idea that we're all going to think differently about stuff. And therefore, (laughs) there really isn't a way to quote unquote rate things. You know, when you put something in, I do it on Letterboxd, we all do it Uh, You know, Roger uh, Ebert and Gene Siskel did their thumbs up, thumbs down. Like we all have ways of rating things, but that really shouldn't be the point. And that's we try not to make that the point on Sif Pop. Um, And so that's the the reason some of these things are a little bit different. I guess I'll start here with toxic fandom. Uh, First of all, it's not new. I think we pretend a lot of times like this started with what Star Wars and it's just so far beyond that. What's new is technology. What's new is the ability to escalate and to amplify toxic fandom. That is what's new. There have always been those of us who care too much, take things too personally, and really, at the end of the day, decry our own ownership of something that isn't ours. And I think a lot of it will come down to that as we have this discussion. Um Toxic fandom is not something that is just a 21st century thing or a late 20th century thing. Uh, it, it predates movies. Uh, there was literally, I, I, I should have, I, believe me, as we go through this, there will be many times where I should have done some research before I just say these things. Do it yourself. I've listened you know, to a lot of different stories on things, and so I'm just going to say things as if I know they are true. Because uh, that's what we do. Uh Anyhow, there is this story, uh, as it goes, that there was a, an opera uh, a long, long time ago that was played and the place just rioted because it was so different than anything they had heard. And they could not deal with the fact that this was the opera or what they knew it to be. And and that's toxic fandom. That's taking ownership of something and going, how do Dare you how dare you not do the thing I thought you were going to do? I protest um, and you know it's just it's it's as old as art itself. every form of art when the, the first human made a meal and served it to someone else, someone else was like, but I wanted bronto burger. Yes, I know I'm living that's just a Flintstones reference. but I'm just saying. Toxic fandom is not new. It's also, honestly, genuinely, I know we hear a lot about this. I don't think it's a threat. I don't think toxic fandom is a threat. I think it's a maturity issue that we all have to process through and grow out of, both individually and as a culture. But I don't think it's a threat to the idea of what art is, what movies are. I don't think toxic fandom, I think the closest I've come to believing toxic fandom is, quote unquote, ruined something um, has to do with the feedback loop of how toxic fandom influences culture, because we live in a world where you can do screen testing and focus groups. And I think Rise of Skywalker is probably the biggest example of this. No matter where you fell on The Last Jedi, what it did differently was responded to in Rise of Skywalker in a way that said, oh, we're going to listen to the fans who say they own this instead of the artists who say, here's what I want to make. Here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to change it. That to me is an example of toxic fandom impacting a movie in a way. And I hesitate to say ruin because again, it's all subjective. It's all nuanced, but definitely impacting a movie in a particular way. That's a perfect example of it. But you know what it didn't do? It didn't bring cinema to its knees. It didn't ruin the entire industry. It didn't ruin the ability of people to tell stories with different kinds of art and to do different kinds of things. It just took a franchise in a very specific uh, fan-led direction. You you could accuse lost of this as much as I defend lost in the finale and everything. And I mean, you could accuse some of the later seasons of lost of doing this. I don't think you could actually accuse the finale of doing this. In fact, I think the finale is a good example of the artist doing what they wanted to do. And then the fans going, but that's not what I wanted. Like that's, you know, that to me is the finale of lost, right? Kind of exemplifies uh, what's going on here, whether you think it was, whether you enjoyed it or didn't enjoy it or whatever the case may be, you got the sense uh, that the creators behind that show put the finale on the screen that they wanted to put on there. And that kind of brings me to the what a movie should have been idea behind Toxic Fandom, like we're talking about. Um, this idea that you watch something and your complaint is it wasn't this other thing is really fascinating to me. It's a it's a loss of the idea of the not necessarily the ownership of art because that could be argued nuanced uh, many different ways. Do fans own art? Do artists own art uh, in a capitalistic system? <laughs> Do conglomerates own art? Uh, who gets to decide that stuff? And I think the the, ver- the very nuanced in. Uh, cop-out answer is, well, it's kind of all the above, right? But this idea as a fan that if you don't do the thing I want you to do, if the plot doesn't go the direction I want it to go, if the type of movie you make isn't the kind of type of movie I want to see, then you made a bad movie is just a really interesting thing to me because art is presented, right? Art is... And again, I know this is nuanced and and always going to be subjective because we have been taught through focus groups and test screenings that our role is so important in this and that they want to make this stuff for us. And you'll even hear artists say, I make this for you. And there's always going to be this interesting balance needle that points one way or the other of, you know, I'm making art because I think it's interesting and says something and it's what needs to come out of me versus Oh, I want to make this for you because I want to make money out of it. And oh, I want to make this for you because we're alike and we enjoy this thing. However, that second thing usually happens more with an artist who's just making stuff that comes out of them. And then they're finding people who resonate with that, who enjoy that. To me, that's the beauty of art. The beauty of art is finding these connecting points. Uh, that exist between the, the human experience, between stories, between uh, uh, human beings who've, who have done the same things or, or think in similar ways or think differently but can learn from each other. Like, that to me is the beauty of art. The beauty of art isn't, I made this thing that's going to trip all your adrenaline sensors in exactly the right way so that you'll keep giving us dollars. Right, that's a little bit of a different thing. But that second thing is what ta- has it's what's taught us that we should get a say in this. Right, that it's our ability to look at something and go, "You messed up because you didn't give me the thing I wanted to see." Instead of saying, "This thing you made it didn't re- it didn't hit me right," and then moving on, <laughs> like <laughs> that's the lack of ability to move on from something we didn't enjoy is a fascinating aspect of human nature and i think it comes from community in a weird way because we want other people to feel the same way we do we don't want to be alone we if we don't like something we want to make sure nobody else likes it i need to find other people that don't like it or make other people not like it because then that means i'm right and boy if there's if there are few things we love more than being right as human beings Uh, So, I think it comes from that. It's the same with liking something and making other people like it because that means you're right because you liked it. Instead of understanding the subjectivity, the nuance and reveling in it, the ability to go… I loved this thing that you didn't like. Let's talk about that. How interesting is that? That's why I love discussions. That's why I do the podcast. Um, that's why I, I get excited when Andrew and I or a guest will disagree on something, even vehemently, because it's an interesting way for me to find another perspective in view. And sometimes I can find it. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes I can see what they're, what they're seeing, but it still doesn't look that way to me. But that's part of the beauty of it rather than going, oh, this thing you made, you made it wrong. That's just a that's a really, a really fascinating thing to me that goes for acting performances that goes for direction decisions, you know, movies that we think of not technically being done well, let's say for continuity reasons or a microphones in the shot or the sound is weird at one point or another. That's still a unique experience. And that stuff has to be talked about, at least for me, because it does lessen my enjoyment because it's distracting. It's not allowing me to connect to the things that I really do enjoy about storytelling, that I do enjoy about movies, then I can't connect to them in exactly the same way because I'm distracted because it keeps reminding me that this is a bunch of people making a movie rather than I'm watching an actual story. But does that make it bad? I don't know that it makes it bad. I just think it makes it more difficult for me to enjoy. Um, I don't think we have to talk about, I've talked about this too. I don't, th- I don't think we have to talk about this idea of being ashamed of liking something or of saying things like, you know, it's a terrible movie, but I like it. Uh, and believe me, I'm guilty of all this stuff. Uh, Honestly, uh, you will be able to find many examples over the what 392 main episodes of this podcast of me being a hypocrite here, but that idea of, you know, uh, Liking something but being ashamed of it is is so strange to me. Just like it. You know what it means? Something about that thing is enjoyable to you, even with the distractions or those distractions melt away. You're willing to suspend your disbelief or forgive them or whatever. And the movie's doing something for you there. Uh, I just think it's really good to remember that, uh, that it doesn't necessarily make thing, specific things. There's no math equation here. There just isn't. There, as much as you want to be analytical about art, it's just, it doesn't work that way. You can contextualize it that way, and I think that's valuable. I think it can be very valuable to contextualize art in an analytical fashion, but at the end of the day, you're not putting an equal sign at the end. You get it? You're doing the equations, but you're not putting the equal sign at the end of art. You just, art. art doesn't equal sign something, it just is something. And breaking that down is is the fun uh, part for me. Um, the other thing I hear about Toxic Fandom, I guess we'll talk about this a little bit too. Uh, I guess I had a lot to say about this. This is going to end up being a rig. Orig- no, this will be a sips with. Um, toxic Fandom is ruining... <sighs> movies uh the same way people say like franchises are ruining movies or remakes are ruining movies or whatever the thing is that we especially as we get older we go oh the good old days it's just not like that anymore and you know why it's those disney live action remakes it's the the franchises the mcu doing five mcu movies and you know, four Star Wars movies and two TV shows and it's just all the same franchises and remakes and it's ruining movies, ruining movies. Here's the thing. It's not a zero-sum game. It just doesn't work that way. Art, you you can talk about art and commerce and you can talk about the fact that the movies that are making the most money are the MCU movies, the Star Wars movies, Avatar, whatever, you know, these big franchises, remakes, whatever, you know, Lion Lion King, made so much money, the, a movie that is just a completely, in my opinion, uh, subjectively, a movie I enjoy so much less than the or- original, but made a ton of money. Little Mermaid, probably going to do the same. And I have no idea if I'll enjoy Little, the new Little Mermaid or not, because I haven't seen it. And I could have a whole other question about judging things before we see them, uh, but I won't do that today. But what are we worried about? <laughs> Are we worried about the commerce? Are we worried about the fact that because money is shifted into these movies, that the kind of movies that we miss, that we wish, you know, were made, uh, just won't get, they, you hear, they don't, they just don't make them like that anymore. Really? Have you looked? Like, you don't even, like, you don't even have to, like, dig too deep before you start to find all sorts of stuff outside of that category. I mean, just this year, I just made a, a quick list, the first, Three months of this year, uh, or maybe three and a half, Megan, Plain, You People, Knock at the Cabin, 80 for Brady, Sharper, Somebody I Used to Know, Cocaine Bear, 65, Champions, A Good Person, Dungeons and Dragons, Air, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, Renfield, Bo is Afraid, and I could keep going on. These are movies that are in the public consciousness. These are movies that are in at least the public pop culture consciousness. These aren't even the buried ones, the ones you have to search for. Here's If these movies don't get made, guess what? People are still going to tell stories. You know why? Because they have to. Have you met an artist? they have to make their art, they have to tell their stories and technology makes it easier than ever before for somebody to tell their story. I have a really good friend who's in the finishing stages of making an actual movie and I'm so pumped. And why could he do that? Because technology, because passion. Uh is it because there was somebody who was like, "This is going to make a lot of money." Yeah, I'll give you money to make this." No, it wasn't. Um And I just I don't know what we're I don't know what we're afraid of here uh, because art through history is littered with examples of how commerce comes in and corrupts something but doesn't kill it. It just you just can't kill the idea of making art and inspiration and telling stories. Um, Nothing is ruining movies because storytelling cannot be ruined. Do you understand that? This is, this is like saying, oh, it's ruining music. Do we say that? It's ruining music. No, because we know we have this idea. No, music is this thing that can always be new, can always be fresh. Somebody's going to be making new music. Why don't, why don't we see the same four movies? Why don't we understand movies to be the same way? Why do we get so upset when movies that we think are empty or shallow make a lot of money? You know, why, why do we get upset that so many people like them? Shouldn't that be a good thing? If a lot of people like something or um, are, are enjoying something now, I don't want to get into, uh, you know, there, there is a conversation to be had about the uh, anesthesia of the masses, <laughs> the idea of using pop culture and entertainment uh, to um, numb a general populace. Uh, through just endorphins and enjoying something. This is the same thing with food, though. Can we talk about this? I think food is a great example of this, too. Uh, it changes over time. You know, Twinkies are still Twinkies, right? People still eat Snickers bars. But mature people understand that if all you eat is Snickers bars, you're going to deal with some medical, some health issues, right? You're going to deal with the consequences of that much refined sugar um, in your system. So why can't it be the same with movies? There are lots of people that enjoy Marvel's Marvel movies, but you know, we can talk about the maturity of understanding, Oh, there's more to storytelling than just this. And then we grow up as a culture. Uh, you look at a lot of like in the food uh, situation, numbers are going down of uh, you know, people, you know, people's diets are getting healthier in many places. Uh, because we're learning as a culture we're growing as a culture and I'm a cultural optimist. I'm a movie optimist a lot of what you're you're hearing comes from that world view but uh, uh, It's it's very easy to be a movie pessimist and just to think oh, we're all just gonna be uh, Sitting there with our eyes taped open watching Marvel movies forever and it just doesn't work that way art art never dies Art never dies storytelling never dies the human experience never dies. That's why so, um, so yeah, they just don't make them like that anymore, I think, is, is kind of a myth. And I think that's pretty much all I had to say. I know there are other conversations going around with Toxic Fandom as well. Uh, recently, I heard a conversation about uh, there are just no more movie stars anymore. My, fr- my first response to this statement is, who cares? Who, why do you need movie stars if it is true? Which I'm not saying it's true or not. Uh, Who cares? Isn't the movie star, the idea of the movie star, isn't that an example of us getting away from storytelling and not towards storytelling? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it feel better or be more interesting uh, if there were no movie stars, if each, couldn't you invest more in the realism of something, of a story, when you didn't have attached to it all of these peripheries of, oh, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. I know who that is. They did this, this, and this. And this is the kind of person they are. And you bring it all to there, you know, Ben Affleck or whoever you might say is, you know, a modern movie star, Leo or Will Smith or whatever the case may be. Um, I think not having movie stars is more interesting. I really do. Uh, so that one doesn't doesn't bother me as much. I think I would sum all this up. Uh, by the way, I, I should have mentioned I am also going to do uh, a little bit of a, a um, buried treasure at the end as well. It wouldn't be much better to to uh, say at the beginning because then somebody, you know, about 15 minutes into this, we like, do I really want to listen to this guy talk for 20 minutes? Yes, you do, because there's buried treasure at the end. That's right. This is the rainbow. Buried treasure is coming. Anyhow, uh, summing it up, as strange as this might sound coming from a pop culture co- uh, podcast, here's where I think the issue is. I think we have to stop trying to convince each other that something is good or bad. I think we have to stop defining it that way. I think we need to shift our understanding of art and storytelling from good or bad to liked it, didn't liked it, uh, enjoyed it, didn't enjoy it. Here's how I felt about it. How did you feel about it? Uh, as opposed to that's a bad movie. Oh, that was a good movie. I thought that was a good movie. I thought that was a bad movie. I. It's just for me. If you can do that, if you can shift your thinking to that, if we can shift our thinking to that as a culture, toxic fandom loses its oxygen. It just loses its ability to grow and pervade because at that point, there is no why aren't you making the thing that I want to see because you understand more appropriately that it is not yours, that it has been presented to you, and then you get to process it however you process it. You don't walk around a museum and look at art and go, um, and I tweeted something similar to this, uh, which also was because I'm thinking about this a lot this week. You don't walk around a museum and go, man, I really wish they had painted that on glass instead of canvas. No, you look at the paintings and you go, oh, interesting. Oh, I like what they did there or... Why this doesn't really work for me? What is this? This is just a a, a, a black canvas with a, a single red dot in the upper right corner. What what is that? I don't get it. Like you can like you can have those experiences, um, but the idea of qualifying the th- experiences you have, the stories you're told, uh, I think we just have to stop doing it. And I think that's how we grow together, right? I think that's how we find our way to honoring the storytelling we love because it means something to us, because it connects us together. It it builds conversations that we're able to have, uh, allows us to think deep thoughts about stuff, you know um, we've never thought about. Uh, So I think that's where I land. Um, We have to stop trying to convince each other that pop culture is good or bad and start talking about it as something we enjoy or don't. Uh, There you go. Thanks for bearing with that. Just on my mind. Thought I'd throw it out there. Um, No, there you go. You can delete it. Okay, so here's the quick uh, buried treasure or you can cherish it forever. I don't mean to be completely self-deprecating. Maybe you thought it was awesome. You know what? Just like tattoo the waveform of this 30 minutes uh, on your arm. And uh, and and that's that's how important it was to you. I'm sure. Uh, I do want to do some buried treasure here, so let's do it. Uh, I watched Eurovision finals, guys. I, listen, I did not. I apologize to all of Europe for not understanding how amazing this is. It was on Peacock. I saw it on there. I was like, oh, I liked the Eurovision movie. I have a vague understanding of what Eurovision is. Now, I am much clearer on what it is, and it's amazing. They've been doing this thing for, what, since 56? It's almost like 70 years they've been doing this thing, and it's all of Europe and Australia who I think joined like 10 years ago, like a decade ago. They just, they send uh, one song and they produce it. They, they sing it. They write it. It has to be an original. And then they, they, I don't know everything up to the finals. I just watched the finals. The finals had 26 finalists and they just played every song, like song after performed, I should say, in this huge production set piece in this like big stadium full of people. And it was produced mind-blowingly. I loved everything about the production of this. American reality shows could learn so much from Eurovision, so much, because there is not a wasted second. Uh, the the uh, the event, the finals were over four hours long, and it felt like an hour. Like I, it just the momentum of it, the movement of it. I was never bored. Never. And what's interesting is the first two hours are just all of those performances basically back to back to back there. Some of them are quirky. Some of them are weird. Some of them are big. All of them are trying to get votes. And then the voting process is so interesting. There's all these different every country. I think there's 36 countries that participate, have a jury and they award points like they rank them one to 11, but their top one gets 12 points and then their second one gets 10 points, so on and so forth. So they go to each of the juries, each of the juries gives their points, you watch the totals for each of the countries, like change and shift on the score, and then they go to like the call-in vote... And they have a formula that they use for awarding points for that and that changes stuff and then like Finland who was like way down in like the 20 range all of a sudden is in first place because the audience loved them by the way I also love them I thought that was maybe my favorite performance although I really like Norway and nobody else seemed to to really enjoy Norway I thought that performance was really really good. Um, so, yeah, so they those points keep coming in. And so, like, the second two hours is literally just scorekeeping. And it was mind-blowingly interesting. I loved everything about it. Uh, I, I so badly want America to be involved in this. We would never win. Nobody would ever want us to win. Um, I think somebody tried to do, we kind of looked it up today, A an American States version of this like with the 50 states each sending a song, it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. It doesn't have the history. It doesn't have the gravity. The only way we're part of this is if Eurovision lets us in. Um, I really genuinely hope Eurovision goes worldwide. I would love to see some of the Asian countries and the acts that they send uh, to this. Uh, I think that could be really fun. I think this could be the Olympics of music and... um, Man, I just love so much about it. I love that the winner gets to host it next time. Um, Even the politics, which is going to be, by the way, in any competition, there's always going to be politics. Didn't really annoy me that much because there's so much heart and fun and unity to the whole thing. Um, Yeah, I I really loved Eurovision. uh, So I wanted to pass that along. And uh, yeah, 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 ding dong. Should have won. I mean... It's not a real song uh, in Eurovision, but still, it should have. Uh, there you go. Thank you for tuning in to Sif Pop uh, today for a little bit of a Sif Swift. Uh, I always feel weird about these. Always feel weird about the one person thing. Um, yet, feedback seems to be okay when I do these. So, uh, I will continue to do them when I need to. When I, ha- you know, when I have two graduations and a baby dedication all in the same weekend. Um, which that will never happen again. So there's that. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. I love you. If you want to support, you can do that at the Patreon patreon.com/sifpop. Thank you to those who already do. That means the world. Go see the website sifpop.com. Check out the stuff that's going on there. A best ever challenges, most weeks. Um, lots of fun reviews, articles. They're just killing it over there they are absolutely i i am blown away by what they're doing over at sifpop.com so uh, check out the website uh really really appreciate that um and you know give us a review give us a review or a rating or, or whatever wherever you listen that that always helps out with the search and with people being able to find us but honestly the most important thing is to tell friends tell tell your other movie loving friends about the show um because That is going to be the biggest way someone picks up listening to this show is if you're like, do you like movies? Do you know there's a movie podcast where they're uh, occasionally interesting, (laughs) where they review two movies a week? Are we insane? Why are, when do we start reviewing two movies every week? Uh, That's just, that's ridiculous. Who made that decision? Uh, See you next time, guys. Uh, And I think we'll be back to talk about Fast X next week. So we'll see you then.